Shut up. You're being stupid. Stop being stupid. Radio Drone. Welcome to A Waste of 55 Minutes on a Thursday night. I am Josh Hadley. With me is Cecil. Yes. Why, no no funky last name? Nah, I'm going to make you do the Adam and Eve promo, but no funky last name. Oh, God damn it. Uh-huh. And Alex will not be joining us this week because he got called into work early, which he doesn't normally have on a day he doesn't normally work, so he has to be at work in four hours. So I understand why he doesn't really want to waste time bitching with Cecil and I tonight, huh? It's completely understandable. Cecil, have at it. Um, uh, if you go to uh, adamandeve.com and use the promo code DROME, you get uh, five free DVDs. Six. Six free DVDs. Wow, that's nuts. Six free DVDs, um, a mystery gift, um, other stuff that's really good. A gift for him. A gift for him, a gift for her. And free U.S. Uh, shipping. Uh, free U.S. shipping, and it's wonderful. And if you go to adamandeve.com and use the promo code DROME, nailed it. Not really. You needed <laughs> quite a bit of prodding, but eventually you'll get it. Damn it, we'll fix it in post. No, we're not. So tonight, I want to talk about something that we've never really talked about. I mean, we've talked about, but never as a compressed topic. Since Interstellar comes out the week we're recording this, I want to talk about space movies. Now, there are lots of different kinds of space movies. What kind do you like? Do you like a, a Star Wars where it's, you know, in a totally alien universe? Do you like something more like a Star Trek where it's dealing with Earth and humans? Do you like something where space is just it is just the impetus for something else to happen and it's just kind of a backdrop? What do you look for when you look for a space science fiction movie? For space science fiction movies, uh, I look for I look for weird. I look for stuff that isn't the same. Like we're gonna go out into space. Like I like if it's you know uh, other planets and other uh, races and uh, it, it just stuff that is alien from us because there's nothing more boring than we're gonna go out into space and we're just gonna focus on earth it's like every other movie focuses on earth like do something weird you're outside of the planet uh so so movies like alien i love because it's so foreign and it's so different and we're kind of dealing with different rules to a certain degree uh, i i i put Star Wars is technically a space movie, and it is it does fall under those trappings where it is very different and weird, and there's all kinds of alien races. But I, I kind of, I don't know, I don't put that into, like, the same category. I'm not one of those people that considers Star Wars a fantasy movie. I've never gotten that argument, because then by that argument, Star Trek is a fantasy, is a fantasy series, and everything is a fantasy series. I've never understood that argument that, no, 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 Star Wars is not science fiction, man, it's science fantasy. I just want to look at those people and go, shut up, you're being stupid, stop being stupid. No, it's, I mean, I'm not saying it's, it's fantasy. I'm saying it's, it's absolutely science fiction. But what I mean is that for, for me, like, I kind of don't look at it in that way. 
you know, I don't know. I guess because it's it's become such a huge thing that you, you do just kind of look at it differently. But eh, I don't know. Maybe it's just me. Well, then, then let me ask this as a follow-up question. What kind of space movie do you like more? Something like 2001 or 2010 that is arguably realistic and is, is relatively close to real physics as you can get without really getting bogged down in it? Or something like Star Wars that says sound in space, fire in space, gravity in space, space is here and we're making a fun movie. What do you like, the more realistic or the more fun? It kind of depends on the movie. Like certain movies definitely benefit from being more realistic and then other ones are more fun. I guess I would gravitate more towards the, you know, realism be damned. This is just a fun, good movie. It doesn't have to be exactly right on all the science. But okay, I, I, I can get that. Not exactly right. But what about something like Supernova? That disaster from, what was that, 99, 2000? You know, five different directors, millions of dollars in reshoots. The movie makes no sense. And it's clearly going, we're not even going to pretend actual physics exist. But at the same time, all of our characters are scientists. It kind of, you can't have it both ways, movie. You know this, right? I am going to reserve judgment on Supernova. I think January, Shout Factory, uh, they got the rights to the movie. And apparent, uh, rumor is that they are releasing the director's cut, which isn't exactly what the movie was supposed to be. Yeah, because he it, never finished it. So technically, his cut is a work print. Exactly. But he is able to, like, he was able to come back in and sort of incorporate some other footage in to kind of make it as close as possible to what the original vision of the film was supposed to be. So uh, I, I'm they haven't officially announced it yet, but that is like the big rumor and it's not being denied. So I, I think that maybe they're just uh, kind of lining up all of their uh, you know legalese before they can officially announce it. But if so, like I really want to see it because I saw I saw the movie in theaters and was just like your jaw was on the floor going, what the hell was that? Yeah. Well, the thing was, like, you could tell it was like, okay, this is cool. And I like this idea. And what the hell is happening now? And then, you know, after the fact, you find out that uh, there was just a ton of different people that worked on it. And the whole thing was just a giant cluster. So I would like to see at least as close to possible uh, of what it was supposed to be. Apparently, there are a lot of people that are like, no, no, no. They're like, this is really is a good movie that got completely screwed by the studio, which I have no problem believing because I see it happen time and time again. Space movies are nothing new. It We really got hit after 1977. What is your favorite pre-Star Wars space movie? Because after Star Wars, we were inundated. But pre-Star Wars, do you prefer like the 1950s style where... In reality, we since we had never not even landed on the moon yet, we didn't know what the actual physics might be, or something from say the early 70s like Dark Star, or or even something like Silent Running that is going arguably realistic in Dark Star's case to almost a nihilistic way to be comical. What, what kind of pre-Star Wars space do you like? For pre-Star Wars movies, I I would probably go with something like 2001, where it's just boring. Uh, I know you think it's boring, 
God, we talked about that at length. But uh, it, it's just it was it was such a unique vision at the time, and it was it was cool, it was different, and uh, it was just visually striking. And I do like a lot of the old um, the the '50s B movies where they're breathing in outer space, or they find uh, a race of aliens living on a on a meteor that just happen to look exactly like humans the the, like, the, be- the best of those is queen of blood with dennis hopper and john saxon i have, have you never seen, seen queen one. of blood no they find a female space vampire and this is dennis hopper's a nobody at this point it's starring john saxon and basil rathbone who by the way they had for two days and he only appears on the same set so you know they had basil rathbone but it starred these two unknown guys John Saxon and Dennis Hopper, and it's about a beautiful space vampire that they bring on their ship. It's glorious. Right, you, you, you have to check out Queen of Blood. Is it uh, black and white? No, color. A Technicolor, color? I mean. In Technicolor. So, yeah, it's got that kind of washed out color like the early Technicolor stuff all did. Uh, all right. Uh, Queen of Blood? Yeah. All right. I'm going to track that down. That sounds fantastic. But th- there was a charm to those old uh those old movies especially a lot of the old like japanese ones yeah, the prince of space and uh, you know a bunch of them that ended up on mystery science theater the, the physics were so wrong and everything was ridiculous and the science they had no idea it was just silly and fun and and they're cool and they're they're entertaining but i don't know they're not something you you really would watch like a lot but it's sort of a a nostalgic innocence like Barbarella. Barbarella is so, I don't give a f*** about physics, we are making a fun movie. And they did! I fell in love with uh, freaking uh, Joan F- or Joan, Jane Fonda uh, in that. It was just like, it was ridiculous, it was silly, uh, it, they obviously did not, they took themselves just the right amount of serious and were kind of telling the story that they wanted to tell and Barbarella was was just a great movie. It was one of those movies that I, I'm kind of I think it's funny because they keep trying to remake it. Barbarella won't really make sense if you try to remake it now. Like you might as well just do actually, a softcore porn. Actually, the, the the guy that was trying to remake it, I think could have done it in such a way because he's done this with other films that it could have still been relevant. That's when Robert Rodriguez was trying to make it. I really do think Rodriguez is one of the few directors out there that could have pulled off a Barbarella remake. Yeah, and I know at the time he had Rose McGowan in it, and I I think, like, she... That's not had... a disastrously bad decision. No, know? no, no. I, I the, You know, a, what, 10, 10 years ago or whenever when they were looking to do it, I absolutely would have been on board with uh, a, uh, you know, Rose McGowan version of Barbarella, because I'm a fan of hers. I think she's very pretty, and she's a good actress. And, and uh, seeing her in a role that focuses more on her kind of being sexy is cool. I think that it might've worked. And I know they were trying to do a red Sonya with her. Unfortunately, now I think it's a little, it's a little too late. So uh, that's kind of a bummer, but um, uh, I don't know. I think that, yeah, but Rodriguez doing it would probably be good, but most likely they'll end up giving it to some like music video director and it'll end up as long just... as it's not Marcus Nispel. Oh, that bore fest of a director. Well, okay, now, what about when you have space movies that don't take place in space? I found this on numerous lists, and the movie is fantastic. I don't really consider it a space movie, The Andromeda Strain. It's about something found in space and a space virus, but the entire movie takes place on Earth. Does that count as, like, a space movie? 
I would count that more as either a... Technically, it's an alien invasion because the virus is alien. I would still, I would go more either uh, like viral outbreak movie or like government conspiracy movie. But because it's not a space movie. What about Close Encounters of the Third Kind? Uh, again, that the aliens, they, they, you don't There's really. There's spaceships in the whole movie, though. There's spaceships in the whole movie, but like they don't really show up until like the end. Like you see them throughout, but yeah, it's not until the end when it's like they show up and dun, 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 dun. when they're uh, kidnapping the kid. That scene still gives me goosebumps. That scene is creepy as hell. So freaking well done. Oh my god. The the with the with the way that everything's moving and the the lights. The screws are coming out of the all the screws are coming and out. Everything. Oh. It's like, and the mother's just trying desperately to not let her kid be taken. Yeah, that, god damn it, that is such a good movie. Well, I, uh, I, I, the movie has a lot of problems. That segment is f***ing perfect. The movie has no problems, you're nuts. Oh my god, I'm still going to hit you with my dick. Now, what about, we're still talking pre-Star Wars here, what about when a movie tried to be funny and use space with it? Like, I think Dark Star, besides being a little drug out and there are reasons, Dark Star from John Carpenter... It's a fantastic space comedy. It's making fun of all of the tropes of space at the same time being arguably realistic. And that's, yes, I realize it's got a literal beach ball with feet on it as an alien. But I mean, these guys are trapped in space and they are so jaded. They are so bored that that they're actually going to talk philosophy with the malfunctioning nuclear weapon that's going to blow up the entire ship and one of the one of the faults that they have is they have no toilet paper because they accidentally set the hold with all the toilet paper in it on fire you're trapped in space for 20 years with no toilet paper that's funny i think dark star the thing with me with dark star was i didn't see it until way later And so I liked it. I do think it's funny, but it's one of those movies that would have been more funny had I had seen it uh, a little closer to, uh, you know, when it was when it was out. Uh, Our main character surfs a nuclear explosion into a blown up planet. That's awesome. It's also very, very 70s. And well, it's also very reminiscent of uh, Slim Pickens in um, Dr. Strangelove, you know, Uh, where he's he's riding the nuke down. Dan O'Bannon's very clear. That's what it was a reference. Whereas absolutely, that's awesome. Yeah, that, dude, he he outright was referencing that. But uh, yeah, it, it's uh, it's it's funny, and there are uh, a lot of science fiction uh, movies that do incorporate humor in there, and they work. And uh, that was one of the um, that not I wouldn't say better known, but that's like a bigger like cult classic one. Well, then how about even though this one is after Star Wars, what about something like Morons from Outer Space? Morons from Outer like, that, that started off that whole wave of, you know, more, well, I don't know if that started it, but Morons from Outer Space and Spaced Invaders and all those goofy uh, alien movies where the aliens were just like usually sex-crazed deviants. And uh, it was funny. Uh, I, I like a lot of those movies because most of them were from the 80s. They were low budget. They were silly. The effects were bad. There was a lot of just corny optical effects. And um, I'll, I'll sit down and watch them if they're on. God, if they're on, but they're not The only anymore. thing I remember, and I've, I've got the DVD for Morons from Outer Space, and I haven't watched, I've never watched the DVD. But the only thing I remember from Morons from Outer Space was him sneezing inside his spacesuit. And I shouldn't have laughed at that, but I did. 
that's not the wrong that's that's funny you know but it's like he's like oh and it's like all over the glass and... <laughs> yeah and i'm like that you know the 12 year old in me was laughing at that th- th- then we go and hit 1977 star wars happens space is everywhere every studio is churning out a space movie tv network is trying to get a space tv show the real outer space adventures in movies and tv happened post 1977 some are good some are not one of my favorites is 1978 star crash from Luigi okazi released by roger corman that movie is beyond fantastic yet at the same time doesn't it kind of isn't it even goofier than Barbarella, really? Oh, yeah. And, uh, well, right out of the gate, even though, like I said, I liked Jane Fonda in, in Barbarella, she's no Nothing Carolyn Monroe. Monroe. Oh, my Come God. On. Yeah, Star Crash is, is just insane. It, it, yeah, if you haven't seen it, I mean, it's, it's easy to find. And God damn it. Shout that, that is released a, a two. Shout Factory released a two-disc special edition a couple of years ago that you have to get. First of all, okay, Luigi Okazi made this movie as a love letter to science fiction. There are tons of science fiction references. Stars Carolyn Monroe at her most beautiful. It stars this unknown poofy-haired actor named David Hasselhoff, a very slumming Christopher Plummer, former faith healer Margio Joyner in it. It's got a score by Barry Williams, how do you go wrong? The outfits of the bad guys is very much like stormtroopers. Joe Spinell is the villain. That's right. Joe Spinell is the villain too. <laughs> As Darth Vader with weird curly hair. <laughs> There's actually a scene. There's actually Joe Spinell's spaceship is like this giant flat platform that curls up into a fist. When they go into battle mode, and the good guys, they, they, they fire missiles at it. These missiles don't explode. The missiles smash through the windows and then open up and soldiers pour out of them. It's, it's just fantastic. Cecil, did you know that, that there's a sequel? I did not. It does not have Caroline Monroe or anyone, and Luigi Okazi didn't make it. But Escape from Galaxy 3 is actually the sequel. The main character is named Stella Star. And it was made by the same production company. Escape from Galaxy 3 is the sequel to Star Crash. I've got a VHS of it. I don't think it's on DVD. Well, actually, actually, no, it is. It's on one of those Mill Creek, like, 50 movies for $10 sets. Oh, you know what? Actually, So you probably do own it. <laughs> I, I probably do own it because uh, I got uh, the Mill Creek uh, 100 science fiction collection. And, uh, I, I'm More than likely, it's on there because that thing had everything on there. You might want to watch that now because that is an official sequel to to Star Crash. In fact, its international title was The Further Adventures of Stella Star. That outfit that um, Carol Monroe is wearing is just ridiculous. That sort of a bathing suit it, thing. It, it, it kind of didn't that look kind of like Vampirella's outfit. Yes, but, but, but black instead of red. But black instead of red. More than likely, knowing Corman. It probably was bar. Hey, look, that works. Let's steal that. And then in 1995, he'd go and make a Vampirella movie. Seriously. Which was not terrible. I thought that, um... Angus Scrim uh, Who was the girl? Angus Scrim as Vampirella's dad? Not bad casting. Angus Scrim as Vampirella's dad, and then, uh... Oh God, Roger uh, Daltrey Ch- from The Who Ch- as Ch- the villain. 
I'm totally blanking. Uh, Kitana was Princess Kitana from Mortal Kombat was Vampirella. Tally Sotos or something like that. Taliza Soto. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah, and she actually did a like looked right on, had the right figure, had the right features, and uh, that is it a, was and not you know a what? bad movie. That's a space movie too. They're from the planet Draculon. That is true. And Roger Daltrey basically plays Dracula, which is kind of ridiculous both in execution and just in theory. Star Wars, obviously, like I said, is the film that broke all this wide open. But it got so nuts that they were even – they even made a James Bond space movie. That's how – you people who did not live in the late 70s and early 80s don't understand what Hollywood was like in the post-Star Wars era. I don't think they can understand this, Cecil. Absolutely not, because it's – now it's just kind of commonplace. But, I mean – who would have ever thought James Bond would be fighting villains on a fucking space station? Wasn't Jaws in that too? Uh, yeah. Where he came back and so yep. it was Jaws in space. It was Richard Keel. Richard Keel. <laughs> uh-huh. Because especially with how serious Bond is now, thinking about something so silly like that, just it, it seems so foreign. Well, And then you had what I consider... One of Corman's best films, although it, needed, it still needs a little bit edit, a little bit of editing, the film that Corman outright admits would have never existed if not for Star Wars, or in, in this particular case, Empire Strikes Back being about to come out, Battle Beyond the Stars. Let's take The Magnificent Seven, which is already a knockoff of The Seven Samurai, and we'll have John Sayles put it in space. And then this little-known guy named Jim Cameron can do the effects, and it'll be great. And it was. I had a friend of mine recently, we were talking about that, and uh, we went on YouTube and we're looking at like trailers and the clips, and he's, oh my god, I remember this movie. This movie was awesome! <laughs> and it is. It's just, it's fantastic. It's so corny, and obviously a tiny budget. Just $2 million dollars in 1980. Corman actually... He didn't want to spend it. This was, at the time, the largest amount of money he had ever spent on a film. $2 million on Battle Beyond the Stars. But he knew it was a surefire bet. With Empire Strikes Back coming out three months later, he was not going to lose that $2 million. No, no, no. Absolutely not. Because that's that's one of the things. If you know that there is uh, just a movie that's going to come out that is guaranteed to be a hit. I mean, hell, that's kind of what the Asylum is doing. It's like, look, we know that this is going to be a big hit. We'll make the low-budget version of it profit. And they did. Well, But as we've talked about when we did our uh, our one episode about lower you know, uh, knockoffs and whatnot, there is a charm to the Corman movies that the Asylum movies just don't have. Well, because in part of that is... You look at like Battle Beyond the Stars versus whatever the the science fiction or let's say Princess of Mars from the Asylum, okay? They both okay. had the same relative adjusted for inflation budget. Yet Princess of Mars looks like crap. Battle Beyond the Stars looks goddamn fantastic. Nobody can debate that. That is, that I will say is factual. For some reason the Asylum stuff with the same adjusted for inflation budget they can't get the same quality that f***ing Roger Corman could. Well, there is a reason for that. The reason basically is because Corman's movies, they did come out in a relatively short timeline, but they did have time to actually shoot the film, 
do post work and get them out the door. Whereas the Asylum films, it's like, we're going to shoot them in two weeks, you have a month to do the effects, and it's going to be out the door. So they would get to a point where after a month, they're like, if the effects are done, if the effects aren't done, doesn't matter. It's coming we're out putting regardless. the movie out any, regardless. And that's kind of the thing. They're not giving it a chance. I think that if maybe they would give them, I know it, it kind of goes against the whole point, but if they gave them a year to actually, you know, do the film, do the post work, actually get it uh, to where they could make it look good and get it out the door, then I think that the quality would would definitely go up. But then their profits would probably go down because they're spending longer times on movies. They're not getting out to match with whatever movie they're trying to you know knock off. And and also, I had somebody arguing with me about well, not arguing, but we were having a conversation about this on YouTube where uh, they were saying how the reason why uh, horror movies are suffering right now is because this is because CGI is so bad and uh, like practical effects aren't believable and their practical effects. This was what cracked me up. This is where the kind of the conversation started. Practical effects are too expensive. Um, I and... go back to this was Roger Corman in 1980, but he also had a certain craftsman named James Cameron. Cameron yeah. did great work for with what Corman was paying him. He was way underpaid for the amount of quality work he put out. Look at the sets for Galaxy of Terror, and you tell me that Jim Cameron was not underpaid. Oh, absolutely. Just the uh, the, the the sets, the way that they did everything, the freaking the models that they used, and there was a lot of ingenuity in there where they would take something and you know take something completely normal and twist it and make it in a way that would it would just look amazing like i know i've referenced this so many times but the freaking uh the the thing with with john carpenter the one of the scariest moments in the film was when the freaking spider head runs out of the room and they couldn't figure out how to get this thing to move they didn't have the budget for the animatronics for it to get it to actually like move so what did they do they freaking they had uh they took a huge wad of chewing gum stuck it to the underside of the head and then stuck it to the top of a skateboard and rolled it off the set and so they aimed the camera so you couldn't see the skateboard and that ends up being just one of the creepiest moments in the film i, I will argue, yet, i will argue with that I think the scariest moment in that movie is the goddamn blood test scene. Oh well, I'm not saying you tell me you didn't jump out of your saying one you, of the you tell me you did not jump out of your seat the first time you saw that. I still you still you know it's coming because it's just it's shot so well where it's just like uh, da, 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 poof blah and it you can't even tell that's not you can't even tell that that's not Kurt Russell's hand because they had to run the pump up a fake arm. It you can't yeah. tell. It's freaking amazing. It's and then you look now, at the, and you look at that thing pre-make thing, and you go, "This looks awful." The you're talking about the the 2011 thing. Yes, I, I call that a pre-make. There's a great story to. I'm actually going to do an episode on that at some point. Did did I already talk to you about this? The entire movie was shot with practical effects. Yes, we talked about that on an earlier episode, and then okay. the studio thought it looked goofy, so they wanted CG. So they wanted CG, and then the the um some people had you know the guys that worked on the practical effects leaked 
the practicals and everybody was like oh my god these look incredible why didn't the studio release this version because if you look at all the reviews they all say the story's good but the cgi is terrible all right the story was not good i thought the story was was good the story was I terrible. Liked it. with aliens or an alien environment do you consider it a space movie if it just maybe it's taking place on a space station and really doesn't deal with the outside world where it's all enclosed sets or or like a horror planet slash inseminoid or forbidden world or galaxy of terror where it's just a horror movie that is happens to be taking place on a space station or happens to be taking place on another planet. Is that still a space movie to you or do you need like space dog fights for it to be a space movie? Um, I'm so thinking you... of something like, like 1982's fantastic Android. Or, or you're thinking like Event Horizon, like something along those lines too. Yeah, to me, like, Event Horizon is much more of a horror film than a science fiction film. It's a horror well, film in a science fiction setting. It's, it's a, it's a ghost town. Ha- uh, it's a haunted house movie in space. But I, I kind of will put it as uh, something like that, or, or like Android or whatever. It, yeah, it is a space movie, but it's all you know. It'll be a space movie, science fiction slash horror, or science fiction slash action, or or whatever. So, um, yeah, I would I would still give it give it that. Well, because you've got ones like I think Android is a terrifically underrated movie. I really do. But then from that same yeah. era, you've got something like Outland. Now, Outland does use the space setting a little bit, but really, it's high noon on a space station, or in this case, technically a station on the moon of Io. Does that really count as a space movie when, when really you could take the space out of it and the movie would be relatively unchanged? Uh, But there are a lot of movies where, you know, if you take out the blank aspect, would it be this? So uh, that, that was kind of the, the thing. There were a lot of movies where I'm sure the pitch meeting was like, it's, this in space it's uh you know the dirty dozen in space it's high noon in space and and that was you know good enough to sell it so i think that that's kind of what sets it apart and um if you do take that out and then you make it just whatever it is then it's not blank in space it's just blank this next one i really hope you've seen this i think one of the funnest movies from this early 80s boom was space hunter adventures in the forbidden zone Oh hell yeah! With a very young Molly Ringwald and a and, and, a, uh, and a hugely drunk Michael Ironside as the villain, as Overdog. Yes. yes. And you know what? I'm old enough. I was eight when this came out. I saw this in 3D in the theater, man. Oh, that I saw that Space Hunter fantastic. in 3D. Actually, wasn't that that was the full title? Was it Space Hunters Adventures in the Forbidden Zone in 3D? If yeah. I'm not mistaken. Yes. <laughs> And, I, I, I mean, it's a goofy movie. Don't get me wrong. And I don't care how cute Molly Ringwald was in this. You want to slap her in this oh, movie. Yeah. Because she is so annoying in this role. Well, but that was her thing. She was, she was the annoying tag-along girl that kept getting in frickin' trouble. And constantly had to be rescued from Michael Ironside as Overdog. Overdog and yeah, as Overdog, the freaking alien rapist. <laughs> this, is hor- this is horrible. I don't even get how he's a rapist when he doesn't have a bottom half, really. Well, you know, didn't like I. I just remember that uh, there's the one scene where he's like he's he's 
He's got God, those big pincers for hands. And he's like, take your clothes off. Yeah. Yes. That's <laughs> so bad. <laughs> and that was a PG movie. How about another one of the one of the fun one of the fun space movies from this era? And I am going to be very angry at you if you don't do a good bad flick on this at some point. Ice Pirates. Oh God, Space Herpes! Come <laughs> on, Ice Pirates is phenomenal. Actually, the, the even better than the Space Herpes. The best joke. It, I won't exactly say it's subtle. Well, there's two. One is rather subtle. One is just a visual gag that works so perfect. When they're in the time warp, Roscoe, he's got this giant white afro that goes to the ceiling that's so heavy he can't lift his head up. That is just beautiful. <laughs> well, that whole – the whole movie is is funny, and the whole movie is very clever. I don't think it gets enough credit for, for how clever it is. But that whole end sequence where they're aging and then their children end up rescuing them is just brilliant it's so freaking funny and it's so really well done and just you never would have seen that coming it's just yeah it's ice pirates is, is just is and that, uh, it's also incredibly Blu-ray. self-referential it's a movie that knows exactly what it is and also angelica houston is such a badass in this she is so gorgeous in this as the badass chick pirate Oh, yeah. Ron, Ron Perlman keeps getting his hand cut off. <laughs> yes. Remember, no matter how hard he tries, he gets how a new hand, he... and then it gets cut off again. It's a running gag. <laughs> and probably, it, uh... the best, probably the best joke, and it's hardly subtle, is when the robot is so scared, it shoots oil out of its backside, and then the other robots that come in to rescue it slip and fall and drop <laughs> the axe on their own heads. <laughs> That is right. Yeah, they're all walking in and they're slipping, sliding on the freaking oil. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it, it's yeah. fantastic. Oh yeah, John Carradine was the supreme commander. Yeah, just what a funny ass movie. You, come on, come on. You tell me that doesn't deserve a good bad flick. Oh, absolutely. Well, the, the thing is, like that, I would probably, I would probably have to do like a, <laughs> I probably have to do an exploring on it because it's hard to do comedy on top of comedy. And uh, that one is one where I wouldn't want to spoil the jokes for the people who haven't seen it. It would be something that I'd want to recommend and talk about how you know much effort went into it. And honestly, for being a a sci-fi comedy, it does look it has the look of like a good oh, science fiction huge budget, movie. which is why it bombed. It didn't even come close to making back its budget. Oh, it's such a shame. Because it, it is it really is good, but again, uh, just sometimes it, for whatever reason, you know, they come out the wrong time, uh, oversaturation in the market, uh, who knows? But um, that one definitely, yeah, that. Oh, it was oversaturation in the market because this was the middle of 1984. 1984 also had minor releases like 2010, Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai, Dune, The Last Starfighter, you know, minor films. Seriously. It was up against a lot of competition, Cecil. That's a shame. It really is. But thankfully, uh, a lot of these have grown on to eventually find their audience. So even though whoever produced them was probably fired, at least they know that uh, it, it did eventually you know, get the recognition that it should have gotten 20, 30, you know, 20, 30 years ago. Okay, how about I love this film. I mean, yes, 
it's hardly original. Enemy Mine. Oh, with Louis Gossett Jr. Uh, as uh, unrecognizable oh. as the drunk. Unrec- oh God, yeah. Dennis Quaid. I, that's right. It was Dennis Quaid and Louis Gossett Jr. I only ever saw it uh, once, way, way, way back. This thing was like, an HBO staple. I grew up watching Enemy Mine. Yeah, and uh, I, I, um, I liked it, but I unfortunately don't remember enough about it to really go into it. Okay, how about then the next uh, space movie is one I know you love, and I think it's a fantastically underrated film, Life Force. And yes, it's a space movie. It's about space vampires, and probably a third of the movie takes place on the space vampire ship or in outer space. So while it does kind of turn into a zombie movie and a plague movie and a paranoia movie and a body snatcher movie, it's still a space movie too, damn it. I think my I think my testicles dropped when uh, Matilda May stood up for the first time and doesn't sit back down. She doesn't wear clothes. She she has that little flimsy thing in the dream sequence and mm-hmm. that's it. Otherwise she has no clothes throughout the whole movie. Otherwise, you know what? Yeah, you know, she... I don't know how this movie got an R in 1985 with how much nudity there is. And we're not talking like just boobs. We're talking the entire package. Uh-huh. She was completely naked walking around the entire film. Like two thirds of the film, she is completely stark naked. And, and then I when she's not, she's wearing happier. a see-through thing. So it's exactly. kind of the same. She might as well have been naked. But she actually, I saw a thing where she was just like, they, they were talking, uh, she's uh, French, I believe. And it was just like, nudity is no big deal. And it's she like, does say on the DVD, though, this was early in her career, and where she is now, if she were asked to do the same movie, she wouldn't have done it. Yeah, but two, but the other thing, too, now she's like, you know, 50. She still looks good, but, uh, you know, eh, when you're young and whatever, you know. But the thing is, when people talk about Life Force, it always goes back to, you know, have you seen Life Force? Oh, my God, that girl. Spectacular at one of the canon movies. It's just... Another movie that bombed, by the way, which seems to be a theme here, doesn't it? It really does. Well, I think I think Life Force was well, I know it had a lot of production problems. Hundred and eighty six day shoot. Mm -hmm. I I, that's unheard of. Yeah, that that is nuts. But uh, but the, the, the Blu ray and I keep going back. There's so much content like they have cut scenes and they have they have multiple commentaries and there's just so much to talk about this movie. So it really goes to show that it's not something that is just sur- you know uh, surface value or face value rather. You know, all right, well this is a movie about uh, alien vampires and this girl walks around her tits are out. Uh, it's so much more than that and uh, the cast is great. You got, you know, Patrick Stewart is in it. Also, and... Patrick Stewart's very first on-screen kiss with Steve yes. Rouse back. With Steve Rouse back. <laughs> So, hey, you know, it happens. Eh, whatever. A killer movie. I actually, I, I'm more than likely I'm going to be doing that one soon. Okay, now how about something like Aliens? I mean, it doesn't really have much to do with space. It's got to do with Aliens, obviously, and another planet. I actually think this one, even less than Alien, is not so much a space movie. To me, Aliens is a war-slash-survival movie. It just has the trappings of space. Yeah, it, it's it's an action war you know movie that takes place on another planet. But they do uh, there's a lot of elements in there that you couldn't do this stuff on Earth. 
the with the spaceships and or I should say the drop ships and you have the uh the the space marines and uh colonial means show respect the colonial remain yeah colonial yeah right i know it's not warhammer it's freaking the colonial marines it's definitely all of those things put a tag on it i would probably go action movie first all right what about the 1989 criminally underrated james glickenhouse produced moon trap that just got a, a remaster i've got the that- laser disc of that so it always looked fine to me, but I'm sure the Blu-ray will look better. For those that don't know, this is Walter Koenig and Bruce Campbell battling alien robots from the past on the moon. And Walter Koenig, if if memory serves, doesn't he have like a love scene with the one hot alien? Yeah. Well, because, <laughs> okay, slight spoiler, Bruce Campbell gets killed maybe 35 minutes into the film. He still appears because they take his face and put it on one of the robots so bruce campbell's still in the movie but this is walter Koenig's film bruce campbell wasn't that big of a deal in 1989 yet yeah this totally was a walter Koenig film and uh i saw uh one of the posters for it it had like it had walter Koenig's name but they had bruce campbell on the cover and it was like oh come on guys stop like selling it like like okay what about what about devlin and emmerich's first movie moon 44 you seen that one uh, that was the Michael Pere movie? Yes. A movie uh, that, that it would have been more effective, I can't believe I'm about to say this, if Malcolm McDowell wasn't the villain, because the whole movie is a mystery to find out who the traitor is. Oh, gee, it was Malcolm McDowell. I never saw that coming. <laughs> well, and then you've got one of the biggest disasters of the 90s, a film that hardly anyone's seen. Charlton Heston, Peter Boyle, Tim Matheson... Four different directors starring in Solar Crisis. Do you remember this train wreck? I know it in name only. I don't the reason you know I've it is it. the reason you know it is because of its director. Its credited director, I should say, Alan Smithy. <laughs> Fifty-five million dollar budget. Ouch. This film actually was directed by four different people. Charlton Heston wasn't even in the original cut. He was all added seams to try and save the movie. This thing was released direct to video and only made about $2 million of its $55 million budget. Solar Crisis is one of those films that we were talking about Supernova before. If that's obvious that it was a train wreck by multiple directors, you have not seen Solar Crisis yet. This thing (laughs) feels like a bunch of random episodes of different TV shows edited together. It's sad that I've seen Solar Babies, but not Solar Crisis. Do you know who produced Solar Babies? Uh, Mel Brooks. That, oh, really? Uh-huh. Wow. Yeah, Mel Brooks produced here, right? The Fly, too. Okay, what about Total Recall? The original, obviously, since the stupid, idiotic, pointless remake never leaves Earth. That's not a space movie. What about the real Total Recall? And, and and even then, with the real movie, isn't it only technically a space movie since arguably the ending is set up that it is all taking place in his head and he never leaves Earth? Well, that is subject to interpretation. That's Paul why... Verhoeven on the commentary track pretty much says the flash of light at the end is his lobotomy. But still, but that's the thing. That's him talking about that but still like watching the movie there's no 
100% like you don't know for sure if all of this really happened or if he was lobotomized. I'm, but, uh, I'm of the mind that I'm of the mind that he that this all was in his head because after what's his face starts sweating every single thing he told Quaid that was going to happen happens in the order he told him literally he even says and the walls will come crashing down and the very next thing is the walls come crashing down to me that says this is all in quade's head oh i i think so too but still it it's it is still open for interpretation and uh, but as far as it being a space movie yeah i, I would say considering that a good uh, at least half the film takes place uh, you know get your astamaz I think that um, it does, but uh, oh god! And two, I I watched it on uh, my my wife had never seen it before. She actually, unfortunately, saw the remake before she Ugh. saw the, the that, original. That remake is one of the most pointless remakes I've ever. The only more pointless remake was the Psycho remake. Oh god, yeah, because that was shot for shot. This was almost let's wreck every shot. <laughs> it was everything looked so sterile it it just it was too cgi and uh because the original uh was verhoven so everything was just gritty and bloody and violent and the it, remake was just sanitized just blech. another problem with the remake and i really do like kate beckinsale but she's had this problem in other movies don't hire her to do accents she cannot consistently keep them up throughout a movie shoot it didn't bother me too much. I, I thought it, it was bothered cool. me how sometimes she has an American accent. Sometimes she has a British accent, sometimes in the same scene. But I don't know. It didn't really bother me that much. I, I, I liked seeing her play a villain. That was probably the only thing in the movie that I actually genuinely enjoyed. I liked seeing her as the bad guy, but everything else was just bland. It, it, it was, I was annoyed with, just how much they aped from the original movie. They and somehow lines. made it worse. Yeah, they took original, and, and this was after all the time. No, we're we're adapting the book, and it's like no, you didn't because the book, the book still deals with Mars. Yeah, it just it irritated the crap out of me. And they went to they that that was the one thing that they decided to change, and they made it stupid. They took an elevator to the other side of the planet. It was dog. Uh, what what idiot thought this was a good idea? We're running out of time, but there's a couple others I want to mention here that, that I think are underlooked as space movies. Critters 4, yeah. Stargate, absolutely. It might not deal with spaceships. I'm just talking the movie here. That's a space movie, huh? Uh, it's a space movie. It's kind of an alternate Earth movie, but definitely, I mean, because the freaking um, J, or J, Dave, J. Thomas? What? J. Davidson. Jay Davidson. Oh, yeah, I, I'm pretty sure it's Jay Davidson. Yeah. Jay Davidson. He, I mean, he was a freaking alien. <laughs> so, yeah, I would consider that a space movie. Especially, I think a lot of that too is tempered in with like uh, Stargate on was it a Universe or Unlimited? Stargate. Yeah, Stargate Universe, where it actually did take place in space. And Stargate um, Universe was the best of that entire franchise, without with with no <sighs> comparison. It's it's depressing because that was so good. And and it, it was the it. lowest rated of all of them. I know. I never. I. I did. My wife hates Stargate. She loved Stargate Universe. I didn't dislike the TV show. I just couldn't get into it. 
but Stargate Universe, I absolutely got right in on. Because it was dark. It was very dark. And it was well done. And yeah, I, I don't know. I, I'm always, I just, I'm surprised at how poorly that did. It's a shame. Okay, Christopher Nolan might think Interstellar is completely realistic. NASA and most of the scientific community think he's an idiot because they're saying he's not. I think Contact from 1997 is arguably the most realistic science fiction movie, and it does qualify as a space movie. Contact is one of the most underrated films, not just of the 90s, I think of our generation, Cecil. I'd like to watch it again. I've only seen it twice. And God, the movie's what, like 20 years old now at this point? 97. Um, Wow. Not quite. Not quite, but still, it's it's relatively, it's almost, you know, what, 15 or whatever. Anyway, I, I like it. Um, I, I think that uh, uh, Jodie Foster does a really good job, and McConaughey is, is good, and uh, it's uh, it's cool. I like the I like the premise, too. There, there, the there, there's one actor that steals the whole movie. He's only got about 10 minutes of screen time. John Hurt steals that movie from the rest of this A-list cast. Well, yeah, it's because it's freaking John Hurt. He's fantastic. We've been talking about a lot of 70s and 80s and older stuff. To to end out the night, why do you think that in recent years, space movies have been coming out on a relatively consistent basis, but they're not – and I, I, I don't mean box office as doing good because most of them do good. Critically, they aren't doing nearly as well as their contemporaries in the 70s and 80s. Do you think that it's the modern audience has changed or the style of making a space movie has changed? I'd say uh, a lot of it is because the the movies are coming out and they're good, but a lot of them aren't breaking new ground. A lot of them are just retreading old plot lines and old ideas, and they're not really pushing things forward. So the reason why a lot of the old 70s and 80s space movies were so well received was because a lot of the stuff that they did had never really been done before. And now it just seems like the movies are coming out and they have big budgets and they're good, but they're just kind of recycling old ideas. I think it, it, it's, 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 a, it's a double apathy, really. I think it's an apathy both on the filmmaking side, and I'm not saying it's, oh, it's CG's problem, because that's just the, the new tool that's being used. Fine. I think they're falling back on the apathy of, this worked in 1988, it'll work in 2008. I think that there's the apathy of not wanting to do anything different, like you pointed out. And I also think there's an apathy on the audience's part, because they've seen all of this before and the cg it does it does look so much faker than a matte painting that's a bias on my part but this is my opinion it's a double apathy which is why a lot of space movies do not work today that's just my opinion maybe i'm wrong i'm not but maybe i'm wrong so cecil if you're going to be shot into space where could people find you you can find me being shot into space at goodbadflicks.com as well as geekjuicemedia.com. I was distracted uh, by looking at a picture of Carolyn Monroe in a Star Crash. <laughs> she, she, she can do that, can't she? 
She certainly does. Actually, in this one picture, uh, I was laughing because we were talking about how uh, the, the outfit is very Vampirilla. And uh, in this particular picture, uh, she has the collar and it's the popped collar. And I'm oh, like, where crap, she's walking is... down where she's walking down that one hallway with the with the space gun with the yeah, that is so Vampirilla. <laughs> and you can find me at 1201beyond.com and contact the show at 1201beyond at gmail.com. Have a good night, guys, and check out some of the movies like Moontrap and Ice Pirates and that that we talked about. Delving into the past is not always a bad thing. Control to Major Tom Ground Control to Major Tom Take your protein pills and put your helmet on Ground Control to Major Tom Sing countdown engines on Check ignition and may God's love be with you Thank you.
Radio Drome is a 1201 Beyond production. Visit 1201beyond.com for more great shows.